Chapter 3, Populism and Mobilization. The definition advanced in this book does not tell us much about the ways in which political actors can use populism to mobilize the masses. By highlighting the existence of different types of populist mobilizations, we can better understand why certain populist experiences are electorally more successful and longer-lasting than others. Before continuing, it is worth noting that populism is generally associated with a strong male leader whose charismatic personal appeal rather than ideological program is the basis of his support. While charismatic male leaders are important to populism, populist mobilization is not always linked to a charismatic leader. Our short survey of past and contemporary examples of populist forces across the world shows that populism is associated with different forms of mobilization. By mobilizing, we by mobilization, we mean the engagement of a wider range of individuals to raise awareness of a particular problem, leading them to act collectively to support their cause. Overall, three types of populist mobilizations can be identified, personal leadership, social movement, and the political party. While many populist actors can be neatly categorized in just one of these three categories, some have aspects of two or three, either at one time or over time. As these three types show, populist mobilization can be top-down, personalist leadership, bottom-up, social movement, or both, political party. How populist actors mobilize is partly determined by the political systems they operate in, while the durability of their success is strongly affected by the type of mobilization. Personalist leadership. The quintessential form of populist mobilization is that of an individual who, largely independent of an existing party organization, campaigns and gathers support on the basis of his personal appeal. Think Rafael Correa in Ecuador, Pim Fortin in the Netherlands, Alberto Fujimori in Peru, Bep Grillo in Italy, Ross Perot in the United States, or Thaksin Shinawatra in Thailand. In all these cases, most supporters felt a personalized connection to the leader, who mobilized purely top-down. The leaders connected directly to the supporters, largely unmediated through strong local or social organization. While top-down mobilization is not unique to populist leaders, they are definitely more prone to it. Where does this empirical affinity between populism and personal leadership stem from? The answer to this question lies partly in the nature of the populist set of ideas which considers both the pure people and the corrupt elite as homogeneous groups. Hence, the populist leader can claim to the personification of the people, as admittedly could any other member of the people. In some cases, the populist leader is not just the core of the political movement, but also of its political identity. Just think of Chavismo in Venezuela, Fortunism in Netherlands, and Peronism in Argentina. In most cases, however, populist leaders do build some type of political organization around them, often seen as a necessary evil to be a successful, to be able to successfully contest elections. Technically speaking, this organization is a political party, i.e. a political group that presents one or more candidates for public office in elections. But in many cases, the organization is largely a facade, as there are few members, committees, or internal structures. This is why we refer to this type of pseudo-organization as a personalist electoral vehicle, i.e. a more or less ad hoc and powerless political structure that has been built and is freely controlled by a strong leader with the specific purpose of contesting elections. By developing a personalist electoral vehicle without being tied to a strong political organization, the populist leader can portray himself as a clean actor who is able to be the voice of the man in the street since there are no intermediaries between him and the people. 
For instance, Korea won the 2006 Ecuadorian presidential election by rejecting the establishment and creating a new political party that did not present candidates for Congress. Korea argued that political parties are fraudulent organizations. He promised to draft a new constitution by convening a constituent assembly, which had the task of constructing an institutional framework that allegedly respected popular sovereignty. A similar pattern of personalist mobilization can be seen in the case of Gert Wilders in the Netherlands, who constructed a political party that in reality is just a personalist electoral vehicle. As the sole member of the Party for Freedom, Wilders decides who is allowed to represent the party in various legislatures and how they should act and vote. Although personalist leadership can be found around the world, it is more prevalent in certain regions, such as Latin America. Throughout the three waves of Latin American populism, the modal type of mobilization has been personalist leadership. From Peron in the first wave, through Fujimori in the second wave, to Korea in the third wave. This is also the case in most non-Western countries where populists have successfully mobilized, such as South Korea and Taiwan. What these countries have in common is that they are developing democracies with a presidential system and a rather weak institutionalized political party. Example, Alberto Fujimori in Peru. At the end of the 1980s, Peru faced not only a serious economic crisis, but also the rise of the Maoist guerrilla movement Shining Path. Under these circumstances, a completely unknown figure, Alberto Fujimori, rose to power by developing a populist campaign criticizing the establishment for the dramatic crisis threatening the country and presenting himself as a pure person who wanted to get rid of the corrupt elite. By exalting his Japanese background, Fujimori framed himself as an outsider without links to the white elite, and thus as someone who, like the majority of the people, had experienced racial discrimination. Not by coincidence, one of the slogans of his campaign was, A President Like You. This slogan constituted a subtle attack against his main opponent, the famous writer Mario Vargas Llosa, a well-known member of the Peruvian cultural and political establishment who won the Nobel Prize in Literature in 2010. Fujimori was elected president in 1990, but he did not have a political party behind him and thus had no way of controlling Congress. He created a personalist electoral vehicle called Change 90, which was formed with the help of two minor organizations with little in common, an association of small entrepreneurs and a network of Protestant evangelicals. The personal workings of Change 90 were so unimportant and inexperienced that Fujimori did not include a single member of his party in his first cabinet. He opted to govern with independents, active or retired military officers, and some individuals from other parties. To wage the 1995 national elections, Fujimori created a new party called New Majority, which obtained a majority in Congress, but almost all legislators were political novices handpicked by Fujimori and his confidants. After poor results in the 1998 municipal elections, he decided to form yet another new political party for the 2000 national elections this time called the Independent Front Peru 2000. In a heavily tainted process, Fujimori was able to win the presidency, but he could not secure a majority in Congress. As a consequence, he started to systematically bribe opposition MPs to support his government, which would become his downfall. Under investigation for bribery, Fujimori faxed his resignation as president during a visit to Japan, where he would stay for several years to evade prison in Peru. All in all, Fujimori competed in elections with political organizations that were extremely weak and completely under his own control. Consequently, when his daughter Kiyoko decided to enter politics several years later, 
She was compelled to build her new political party practically from scratch, even though it includes some leaders who supported and worked in the Fujimori step government. Through the new party, popular force, Kyoko Fujimori was has been able to construct a common identity, uniting local elites and grassroots organizations sympathetic to her father's government. Social movement. Demonstrations, marches, and rallies are regularly political are regular political phenomena in contemporary societies. They are examples of political mobilization in which individuals come together to put pressure on powerful actors. When protests are not episodic occurrences but endure over time, we are dealing with a social movement. Social movements are usually described as informal networks, or networks of networks, characterized by a continuous engagement of individuals and political groups that have a clear adversary and seek to promote collective action in the pursuit of a common objective. Iconic examples of new social movements include the U.S. Civil Rights Movement of the 1960s and the Western European Environmental Movements of the 1970s. Social movements are informal networks that bring together people with a shared identity and a common opponent who engage in non-institutionalized collective action to pursue a goal. Their preference for non-institutionalized collective action over the more usual electoral behavior is often caused by a lack of access to the decision-making process. Therefore, social movements are different from both political parties and interest groups, which normally have formal organizations and participate on a regular basis in the decision-making process. When it comes to defining a common identity and a common enemy, social movements have to develop a frame through which they identify the most important social grievances affecting society. In the process of frame construction, social movements normally resort to different ideological frameworks. For instance, the labor movement often portrayed Marx's ideas to construct a frame in which the business community was portrayed as the common enemy and the workers were depicted as the aggrieved population. Nothing keeps social movements from using populism to construct a frame. However, this does not occur very often. Most social movements seek to develop a common identity for a specific group of individuals, such as students, women, workers, etc. In contrast, populism speaks about the people as one homogenous group. It is a, as one homogenous category. It is a set of ideas that assumes that a broad group of individuals, though not the whole society, should act to regain its sovereignty which has been stolen by a corrupt elite. Consequently, populism is not very helpful for the construction of frames targeted at specific constituencies, i.e. subgroups of the people. An interesting aspect about populist social movements is that they are examples of bottom-up mobilization. In fact, populist social movements normally lack centralized leadership or dominant leader, which is not necessarily to say that they are leaderless. Certain figures can play a significant role from time to time, but the key strength of a populist social movement relies on its capacity to interpret a widespread feeling of anger with the establishment and to convincingly propose that the solution lies in the sovereign people. As a consequence, events such as major corruption scandals involving high-ranking individuals from across different groups of the establishment or serious violation of the principle of popular sovereignty are propitious for the emergence of populist social movements. In contrast, political contexts in which specific groups feel discriminated against, e.g. youth, or aim to reform a limited policy sector, e.g. ecology, are not very conducive to the rise of populist social movements. Looking at the contemporary world, the Great Recession has facilitated the use of a wide variety of populist social movements across the globe. Occupy Wall Street in the United States and the so-called Indignados in Spain are good examples of this. Whereas the former developed the slogan, We are the 99%, the motto of the latter was Real Democracy Now!, 
we are not good in the hands of politicians and bankers. Both social movements had a clear populist tone, portraying the political caste, La Castas, and the, political, uh, the business community as the corrupt elite, while defining the homogenous people, the 99%, as the only source of political legitimacy. And while both movements tried to develop a definition of the people that was inclusive to most marginalized minorities, including ethnic, religious, and sexual, its moral exclusion of the elite in terms of interests and values was as essential as with the more exclusionary populist movements on the political right. Example, the Tea Party in the United States. Although the groundswell of the movement go back much longer, many popular accounts place the origins of the Tea Party movement on the air rant of CNBC host Rick Santelli on the floor of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange in February 2009, protesting the bailout policies of Democratic President Barack Obama, even though they were initiated by his Republican predecessor, President George W. Washington. Santelli turned to the traders on the floor and shouted, it's time for another Tea Party, referencing the Boston Tea Party of 1773 an anti-tax protest against the British government that served as the prelude to the American Revolution. While this media event undoubtedly boosted the nascent movement, the Tea Party is in many ways just the newest form of conservative populist outrage in the United States. The Tea Party movement was built upon a plethora of loosely organized grassroots right-wing populist activists, such as blogger Kelly Carinder, known as Lovely Bell, and groups such as Tea Party Patriots, as well as professionally organized national conservative groups such as Americans for Prosperity and Freedom Works, and Freedom Works. The coalition of so-called grassroots and astroturf groups was problematic from the outset, as many grassroots supporters considered the astroturf professionals as part of the corrupt elite. Moreover, as the Tea Party became more closely associated with the Republican Party, not in the least because of the astroturf groups, the more populous parts of the movements turned away from the common national campaigns and directed their attention more to local and regional battles particularly in the American Midwest and South. But even the grassroots part of the Tea Party movement entails a great diversity of causes and groups, including those that are more libertarian, social conservative, religious fundamentalist, and white supremacists. Various aspiring leaders have emerged, ranging from the right-wing television personality Glenn Beck to Congresswoman Michelle Bachman, but all are closely linked to specific subgroups, consequently finding least as much opposition as support within the amorphous movement. Even former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin, who had become a national and international celebrity after John McCain selected her as his running mate in 2008, got caught up in a fight between individual Tea Party groups, receiving strong criticism for charging huge speaker fees at for-profit Tea Party group meetings. Like other grassroots populist movements before it, the Tea Party quickly lost its national momentum, in part because of its lack of national leadership and organization, even if certain groups remain influential at the subnational level. Nevertheless, some GOP leaders who have been close to the Tea Party have been able to compete in the 2016 presidential primaries, e.g. Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, and Marco Rubio, even if much of the base has supported the GOP outsider, Donald Trump, and it is an open question how much impact the Tea Party will have on both the GOP leadership and the party base in the future. Political Party The American political scientist E.E. E. Schutzschneider famously proclaimed that we cannot have democracy without political parties. This is only a slight exaggeration. 
Contemporary democracy is undoubtedly a form of government that hinges upon political parties. They play at least three key functions in the democratic system. First, political parties are organizations that seek to aggregate the interests of different sectors of society. Second, political parties elaborate policy programs that work as their pledge to the voting public, who can evaluate these programs to decide whom to vote for in elections. Thirdly, political parties invest time and resources to train personnel, who are crucial for both running elections as well as implementing the proposed reforms through public office. These three key functions of political parties are closely related to the very process of political representation. Modern democracies are a particular type of political regime in which voters are free to elect officials who represent them by deciding matters on their behalf. These representatives are normally individuals working in political parties, i.e. political organizations that present candidates for public office in elections. As political parties compete for votes, they have to detect the issues that are salient in the electorate and create corresponding policy program. In this process of discovering issues and constructing a program, party activists, members, and leaders interact closely. Consequently, the party is more than just a leader. Both the institution and the ideology may be linked to a strong leader, but they are not fully dependent upon one. Hence, parties often are able to survive a specific leader. Given that populism is usually employed to attack the establishment, pundits and academics are prone to argue that it is against political representation. After all, populist actors and constituencies normally claim that existing political parties are corrupt organizations. This does not mean, however, that populism is intrinsically at odds with political representation. What populists want is to have their representation in power, i.e. representatives of the people. Accordingly, populist political parties use populism to challenge the establishment and to give voice to groups that feel unrepresented. In effect, the rise of populist parties and their electoral strength is directly related to their capacity to politicize certain issues, which, intentionally or unintentionally, are not being adequately addressed by existing political parties. As soon as populist parties become relevant and are able to own an issue, they win a space in the political landscape forcing other parties to react and take their concerns into account. While social movements can do this too, the added ability to win votes and seats often makes populist parties more effective. Despite the ideological tensions between populism and parties, political parties are the paradigmatic type of populist mobilization in much of Europe. Today, a majority of European countries have at least one successful populist party. A populist party is among the three largest parties in roughly one-third of the countries. While some populist parties live up to the stereotype of the flash party, many of these are better categorized as ad hoc electoral vehicles constructed by personalist leaders than as real political parties. This applies both to the prototypical example of the Pujadas party and to more recent cases like the People's Movement for Latvia. Unsurprisingly, many of these parties are officially named after their leader, like the Austrian team Stronach or the Dutch list PIM 14 or they are commonly known for their leader. For example, TKL was more broadly known as the Sierges Party, after party leader Werner Joachim Sierges. Many of the more re- relevant Western European right-wing populist parties are relatively well-established organizations that have been around for two or more decades. Most notably, the Austrian Freedom Party and Swiss People's Party were founded in 1956 and 1971, respectively. While both parties changed ideologically, they have maintained organizational continuity. But even new right-wing populist parties, like the FN and Norwegian Progress Party, date back to the 1990s, while the Belgian Flemish Interest and Italian Northern League 
were founded in the early and late 1980s, respectively. All these parties have slowly but steadily built and institutionalized a stalwart party organization, with often several auxiliary organizations, such as youth branches. Even in Eastern Europe, where few parties predate the fall of communism in 1989, and most parties are volatile and weak, some populist parties are quite stable and well-organized. Examples include the left-wing populist direction Social Democracy, Schmier, in Slovakia, and the right-wing populist Law and Justice in Poland. Example, National Front in France. The National Front was founded as a coalition of broad variety of far-right groups, ranging from the neo-fascist New Order to ultra-orthodox Catholics of the Le Fribourg sect, held together exclusively by the overpowering leadership of Jean-Marie Lapin. After a slow beginning, during which the party was not much more than the sum of its parts, counting a mere 14,000 members in the mid-1980s, the FN set out to develop its own organization under the competent management of Bruno Merli. It was hardly hurt badly by a split between the Lepin and Merli camps in 1999, in which the party lost most of its competent party organizers and about two-thirds of its cadres. Experiencing a rebirth under Marine Le Pen, the FN has almost quadrupled its membership, from a mere 22,000 to some 83,000 since she succeeded her party, her father as party leader in 2011. Despite the nominally democratic party statues, the power structure of the FN is extremely centralized. The party leader is elected by the party congress and can and does face serious competitors, but is extremely powerful once elected. Marie Le Pen exerts disproportionate influence through an extensive myriad of organizations headed by people appointed by and responsible to her. In fact, when she took over, her father was named President for Life, an honorary function that could not protect him from being thrown out of the party later on, after an increasingly public feud between father and daughter. Although the party congress had to approve his expulsion and he had legal recourse within the party, Jean-Marie Le Pen was only saved by a civil court case which ruled in his favor and forced the FN to reinstate him. Today, the FN organization spreads across the whole territory of France, including its overseas territories. It has a strong and very active youth group, the National Front of the Youth, boasting some 25,000 members. The FN has an organization for French abroad, organized in 11 geographically organized branches, claiming members in 80 countries around the world. To b become better connected with blue-collar workers, its strongest electorate, the party has created several trade unions, particularly for sectors that are traditionally sympathetic to FN ideals, e.g. police officers and prison guards. As the modest wins in trade union elections have been invalidated by the fiercely anti-FN traditional trade unions, the FN has embarked upon an increasingly successful strategy of entryism, in which its members infiltrate traditional unions and their leadership. A dynamic model. While most examples of populist mobilization fit neatly into one of these three types, at least at specific points or periods in time, in most cases populist mobilization is a process that goes through different stages. Almost all populist mobilizations start without a strong organizational structure, perhaps except when a populist leader takes over an existing, well-organized political party and transforms it from a non-populist into a populist party. Interestingly, this is an increasingly common trajectory in Europe. Many of the successful European populist parties, both on the left and on the right, started out as non-populist parties. For instance, in Germany, the populist party of the left, Die Link, 
is the successor to the ruling party of the German Democratic Republic, the Socialist Unity Party, which was an elitist Marxist-Leninist organization. Two of the most successful populist radical right parties in Western Europe, the FPO in Austria and the SVP in Switzerland, started out as non-populist parties, although with significant populist factions. After being elected party leader, Jörg Haider and Christopher Bleucher, respectively, transformed the established non-populist party into a populist radical right party. In exceptional cases, a long-serving leader can transform a non-populist party into a populist party, as is the case with Viktor Orban and Fietz in Hungary. While these examples show that leaders can be very powerful within populist parties, this does not mean that these organizations were personalist electoral vehicles of their leader. Even after their power grab and party transformation, which led to significant electoral success, Heider and Bloiker endured significant opposition from within their own party, both from populists and from non-populists. Within the FPO, the opposition was so fierce that Heider eventually chose to leave his party to found a new one, the Alliance of the Future of Austria. Interestingly, outside of his regional stronghold of Corinthia, most of the voters remained loyal to the old party and did not follow the old leader to the new party. In most cases, however, populist mobilization is unrelated to an existing political organization. The common model is a personalist, mob- personalist leader who constructs an old ad hoc electoral vehicle, i.e. top-down mobilization, around a strong populist leader. In many cases, this mobilization is either unsuccessful or it falls apart shortly after achieving electoral breakthrough. Populist leaders who are able to mobilize more or less successfully for a few elections tend to build a political party, however half-heartedly and reluctantly, to consolidate their power and increase their effectiveness. Despite their predominance, many populist parties actually survive the founder leader, even if they often go through a period of electoral decline and weak leadership. Some even move from one strong leader to another, as was the case in both the FN, from Jean-Marie Le Pen to Marine Le Pen, and the FPO, from Haider to Heinz to Christian Strauch. In other cases, the death of a founder leader can help to unite different factions with the aim of constructing a political party that seeks to help the populace, help keep the populist set of ideas alive. Examples of this can be found in Latin America, where the death of Perón paved the way for the consolidation of the Argentine Justicialist Party, with the death of Chavez seems to have contributed to the strengthening of the United Socialist Party in Venezuela. Social movements are a fairly rare type of populist mobilization, although it is the modal type in the United States, from the agrarian populist movement of the late 19th century to the populist movement on the right and the left of the early 21st century. Like other social movements, populist social movements tend to be episodic and local in the absence of a strong national leader or organization. The recent Occupy Wall Street movement is a perfect example of populism that never outlived its short-lived social movement phase. Few populist social movements are able to last far more than a few years. Those that survive tend to have connected to more organized groups, like the Tea Party, and to the diverse and broad networks of right-wing local and national groups, including the Republican Party. Once a popular social movement finds a strong leader, tensions emerge between the leader and the movement. The movement will quickly lose momentum, particularly if the leader is able to build a political party and attract a significant part of the key activist and media attention. This happened recently in India, where the popular social movement India Against Corruption, which emerged in the wake of an unprecedented wave of high-level corruption in 2011, largely disappeared when Arvind Kejriwal, one of one member of its five-man leadership called Team Anna, 
found the founded the Common Man Party and started to contest elections with various levels of success. Similarly, the Spanish Indignados, which emerged in protests of rising inequalities and corruption in 2011, was eclipsed by Podemos, which followed a manifesto signed by 30 intellectuals and personalities, and, despite ideological resistance, is strongly focused on the found party founder and leader, the political science professor Pablo Iglesias Trion. Finally, a very exceptional case can be found in contemporary Bolivia, where all three types of populist mobilization are simultaneously at play. Evo Morales is a personalist populist leader who is strongly connected to social movements that opposed neoliberal policies and fought for better representation of ethnic groups in the 2000s. Morales was elected president of the party in 2006, and the political party behind him, Movement Towards Socialism, has close relationships with these social movements. At the same time, MAS is a strong political organization which, despite its loyalty to Morales, has different factions in an institutional structure across the whole country. Important tensions exist between the three types of populist mobilizations in the country. For example, at certain times, social movements have forced Evo Morales to change his position on specific reforms. And, while he continues to be the undisputed leader of the party, debate is ongoing within the party about who should replace him in the near future. Conclusion Populists mobilize in a variety of different ways. We discussed the three main types of populist mobilization, personalist leadership, social movement, and political party. Two important questions remain unanswered, however. First, why are some types of populist mobilizations more prevalent in certain places than in others? Second, do these different types of populist mobilizations have an impact on the electoral success of populism? Let's begin by offering a preliminary answer to the first question. Populist actors do not operate in a political vacuum. Various political contexts set conditions and provide incentives that are more or less favorable to the three different types of populist mobilizations. Having said that, probably the most relevant factor is whether populism comes to the fore in a presidential or in a parliamentary system. More generally, presidential systems strengthen personal leadership, while parliamentary systems incentivize the emergence of political parties. Consequently, populist leaders without an attachment to a political party can gain prominence and even win the executive power in presidential systems. In fact, this has occurred several times in Latin America, e.g. Perón, Fujimori, Coria. By contrast, in parliamentary systems, the person who controls the executive is nominated by one or more political parties represented in the parliament. It is therefore not a coincidence that almost all populist forces in Europe are more or less well-organized political parties. When it comes to analyzing the rise of populist social movements, the distinction between presidential and parliamentary systems does not always seem to be crucial. Rather, like other social movements, they will mainly develop in democracies that have a restricted political opportunity structure. Although the more restrictive POS institutions are, majorit- are a majoritarian electoral system, a related two-party system, and a high financial barrier to influence politics through elections or lobbying, seen in this light, the predominance of the social movement type of populist mobilization in the United States makes sense. Although populist sentiments are widespread within U.S. society, politics is dominated by just two broad parties the Republicans and the Democrats, that have been highly successful in preventing the rise of viable third parties. Although mainstream politicians in the United States regularly use populist rhetoric, populist mobilization is only really feasible outside of the party structure in social movements like the Tea Party that are often closely related to one of the two parties. That leaves us to address the second question. Do the types of populist mobilizations have a different impact on the electoral success of populism? 
To answer this question properly, it is important to bear in mind that electoral success can be defined in two different ways. Electoral breakthrough, which refers to winning enough votes to enter the political arena, e.g. parliament or presidency, and electoral persistence, which means the ability to develop into a stable force within the political system. Without doubt, populists can achieve electoral breakthrough through personal leadership. This is particularly true when the populist leader is a charismatic figure who has adequate credentials to portray him or herself as an outsider and has the ability to establish a direct link with the masses. However, these types of leaders are usually very bad at building institutions. By constructing a personalist electoral platform rather than a well-organized political party with competent activists and personnel, they have serious problems at succeeding in terms of electoral persistence. For instance, Alberto Fujimori was able to win three presidential elections, but his party disappeared once he left the country in the year 2000, forcing his daughter to try to build a political party from the ashes of his her father's personalist electoral vehicle. Given that populist political parties employ radical language, they normally have to confront the reactions of mainstream political parties as well as of civil society organizations and the media. The stronger these responses, the more difficult it is for populist parties to develop a fu well-functioning organization that recruits competent personnel. As a consequence, populist parties often achieve electoral breakthrough, but they fail at establishing electoral persistence. Some populist parties are able to survive big electoral defeats at the national level because of particular local or regional strongholds from which the party can try to launch a national revival. Many European populist radical right parties have such local strongholds, such as the VB in Antwerp and the SVP in Zurich. The most extreme example was the Austrian BZO, whose national representation in the federal parliament was solely based on the phenomenal support in Haider's home state of Carinthia. Populist social movements have an ambivalent impact on the electoral success of populism. The rise of a populist social movement clearly gives more visibility to the populist set of ideas, but this does not automatically lead to the electoral breakthrough of populist actors. For instance, there are no signs that the Occupy Wall Street movement has contributed successfully to the election of left-wing populist politicians. Although it might have bolstered the hands of more progressive Democrats like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. However, this is different when a strong populist social movement is connected to or, mar or mobilizes partly within an established political party, as is the case with the Tea Party and the Republican Party in the United States. While the Tea Party has not been able to gain control of the National Party, it has played a major role in some of the primaries and has been instrumental in increasing the populist representation within Republican delegations in state and federal legislatures. The biggest chance at electoral persistence, however, occurs when a populist social movement is able to either build a new political party or transform an existing one. In fact, many of the most successful political parties have arisen from social movements, which provide organizational resources that are crucial to establish well-functioning political parties. Just think about the influence of the labor movement in the rise of socialist and social democratic parties in Europe and Latin America. A paradigmatic example of a populist social movement triggering both the electoral breakthrough and the persistence of a populist party is MAS, whose leader, Morales, has won the last three consecutive presidential and parliamentary elections in Bolivia.